sermons on the topic of the family and the home. We've entitled it Family Portraits. And last week in our study, we, we came to understand that the photographer, as he looks through the lens, he sees things that the family and the portrait can't see. Sometimes a photographer will look through the lens and say, hey, you need to move over, or you need to tilt your head, or you need to smile, and, and the photographer will see things. And, and so by way of application, we went back to Genesis chapter 2, and we went to the first marriage ever performed, performed by God in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And, and we learned how that God has a perspective, as the photographer, so to speak, on marriage and family that can help us greatly if we'll take the leadership that he gives to us. And that's where we began. And if you've ever had a family portrait taken, the photographer looks through the lens, sizes up the family, gets everybody situated, and then shortly before taking the picture, a word of warning is given that lets us know it's time to put that cheesy grin on our face. And and before they take the picture, the statement that is most often uttered is, say cheese and that means smile get ready it's coming that means you probably aren't happy but you need to start looking happy you you might be upset today men you might be mad your wife made you wear that sweater and the kids might be upset they had to sit by this one and there might be a lot of things happening in your heart and in your mind but the camera's getting ready to snap a picture and so please at the very least would you put on a cheesy smile and look happy Well, I've got great news today. There's something better than just looking happy. There's having joy in your heart because the Lord is doing a work. There's something better than having a face that masks what's happening on the inside. It's having a heart that is filled with happiness and a heart that goes ahead and, and tells your face, it's okay, you can smile. There's something great happening on the inside. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good today to have a heart that says, I will, if I must, endure my family. Uh, but it's better when we say, I don't want to go through life just enduring. I want to enjoy my family. And so the news for us is that God gives us a very thorough explanation in His Word of how we can have quality relationships in our families, how we can have happiness in our homes and meaning in our marriages and pleasure in our parenting. And as I said last week, I want to be extremely honest. It's not automatic. It's not even easy. But it's worth it when we take time to learn what God has to say about our families and do our best to implement it into our lives. Now, what we're talking about essentially today is the home, marriage, family, and so forth. But I want you to know today that if we'll grasp these principles, they'll help us in every area of life. They'll help us on the job. They'll help us with our neighbors. And and these are principles that can be an encouragement to us today. If you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to the text together. And we're in Colossians chapter 3, and I believe the notes prepared for you uh, share that we're basically today going to be from verse 12 through the end of the chapter, and I got to preparing that sermon and discovered it was going to be like four hours long, and so I figured I better break it up. How many of you are glad I made that decision today? Good, most of you. I'm glad I made that decision too. I'd hope to get to lunch at some point, and uh, so we're going to break this down a little bit, and we're going to begin in verse 12, and we're going to go just as far as uh, the Lord would allow us to go today, I would imagine verses 15 or 16. But I want us to look together as we begin reading again in verse 12 where the Bible says this put on therefore as the elect of God holy and beloved bowels of mercies kindness humbleness of mind meekness long suffering 
forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. I like that word perfectness and really means the idea of maturity. I, I often say when we come to this word, when Jesus was on the cross of Calvary, some of you will recollect before dying, he didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished, the work that he had come to complete. And, and the, Greek, the Greek word when he said it is finished is to telestai. It means to balance the books if you're a bookkeeper. But it was also an agricultural term to mean something that is ripe to the point of usefulness. Something that is mature, prepared. And the Bible says that uh, uh, charity is the bond of perfectness. Verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, uh, songs, singing with grace in your hearts, to the Lord. Now, I mentioned that we're going to break this text up and cover it over the next couple weeks in our study. To understand the context, we read through verse 16. For sake of time, I won't read the rest of the chapter, but look to verse 18 with me if you would. I want you to take note of the first word there, wives. Go to verse 19. The first word is husband. Verse 20, children. Verse 21, fathers. And I wanted to point that out to you so that you could understand we're going to cover some ground today, some territory that the Apostle Paul shared before he got into the deeper relationships in the home. In other words, he shared some general principles that, that we all need to get a hold of that apply to every, every relationship in life. But really, Paul said, I need to kind of cover this before I get into some of the specifics in the home. And I think we can all be encouraged in this regard. And in the end of verse 16, if you look there with me, please, the Bible says this. In the end of the verse, singing with grace in your hearts. I want us to think of the expression, grace in your hearts, all right? Now we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. I am very excited to share this with you today because it's God's heart for your home. What I'm going to share with you today works, all right, because it comes from the Bible. It can help us. It can bless us. And so I hope that you uh, with me today would, would really get in this study. And Lord willing, the study would get in us and we could take it home with us today, all right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, thank you for this morning, for the opportunity we have to both learn and grow. Lord, please help me to be the teacher that you would have me to be. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use me to help each one here this morning. Help us to have, Lord, the integrity before you to readily confess by the way we listen that we need these truths from your word. Help the families represented here in this room today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When two people come together to get married, it's a very exciting time. There's a lot of excitement that goes around the preparation. There's a lot of stress involved, I'd imagine, as they make their way to the wedding day itself. But the wedding is a relatively joyous time. And after the wedding, there's a period where reality kind of sets in. And, and it takes a little bit of time to kind of figure out the idiosyncrasies and, and uh, uh, the, the repetitions in someone's life. And even to a degree, maybe the weirdness 
that they have. I think most of us going through the process that leads to a wedding day, we do our best to put our best foot forward and, and uh, we try to do our best to say the right things and look the right way and smell the right way. And, and sometimes we're, we're showing what we think is the best part of the picture. Now, some of you are looking at me today like you have no idea what I'm talking about. Does anybody have any idea what I'm talking about today? All right, four of you. That's awesome. We're off to a great start today, okay? But we many times try to portray ourselves in the best possible light. And then we get married and then it's like, surprise, you know, here I am with all my weirdness. You, you married what you thought was the best part of me, but there sometimes is, is a little bit of baggage that we bring in to the marriage relationships. I heard of one couple, maybe you've heard of them. They were getting ready to get married and the young man was a little bit uptight about it all. And, and so he's talking to his dad and he, he says, Dad, I'm kind of unsure about some of this. And you sure you want to get married? Oh, no, I'm sure about that. But he said, Dad, you and Mom know this, but, but she doesn't yet know how bad my feet stink. And uh, he was really feeling nervous about that. He didn't quite know, you know, how, how does this all happen? And, and the dad said, listen, son, here's what you do. Every night when you get ready to go to bed, just get out a clean pair of socks, put them on your feet, and you'll be just fine. The son thought, well, dad, that sounds like great advice. And sure enough, that's what he did. Well, little did he know, about the same time he's talking to his dad, the bride-to-be is talking to her mom. And, and uh, she said, mom, I'm just a little bit nervous. You know how bad my morning breath is. And I'm just afraid, you know, if he smells this morning breath, he'll just, he won't be able to handle it. And I, I don't know, quite know what's going to happen from all this. And, and the mom said, listen, honey, here's what you do. First thing in the morning, you don't utter a word, not a single word. You get up from bed, make your way in the bathroom, you brush, you gargle, you rinse, you do whatever it is you got to do, and, and uh, uh, everything will be just fine. She thought, that will be just perfect. And so they got married, and, and uh, they're enjoying their new lives together, going through this routine. But one night... One night, as that young man was sleeping, one of the socks managed to work its way off his foot. As he woke up in the morning, he could kind of sense it's not there, and so he's kind of trying to reach for it with his foot, and then he's reaching an arm down there, and now he's panicking. He's thrashing around trying to find it. Well, he wakes her up, and she's shocked. She has no idea what's going on, and she looks at him and says, What are you doing? And as that morning breath hit his nostrils and ascended and his brain registered something's wrong here, he said, you ate my sock, okay? <laughs> I think all of us know what it is to go through life and try to act like we've got it together, but the reality is we all have times where as much as we try, our imperfections shine through. Uh, I know that uh, I thank the Lord for my family, but I took a survey in our home this week, and it was as scientific as it could possibly be, and without any margin for error, I can confidently conclude there are no perfect people living in our home. But I can also share with you that in the midst of the imperfection in our home, there's been happiness this week, and there's been joy. No, not perfection. I've established that. But happiness... And God has a way of bringing imperfect people together and doing something in their lives that is a blessing to them, a blessing to others, and a testimony of His grace. As Paul wrote this letter to his friends in Colossae, he, he shared God's truth for success in relationships. He covers really every relationship in life, but there were some foundational principles that Paul says in essence, look, you've got to get this. You've just got to understand this. I'm going to talk more in a minute, Paul said, about, about the specific areas in the family, but there are some general things we've got to get a hold of 
if we want to have happiness in our home, if we want to do more than say cheese, if we want to have that cheese with us the whole year through, okay? And so as he gets into this text, he, he shares these tried and proven principles that if followed will add great value to your life and to your family. And he begins with, if you have your notes available, with our attire, with our attire. Now Paul begins in verse 12 by sharing that we need to put on some things. We need to put on some things. And in that opening verse in our study today, he articulates them. In that verse, he says that we need to put on mercies and kindness and humbleness of mind and meekness and long-suffering. And each of those words carries great meaning. And each of those words, if understood and if lived out in our lives, have the ability to make our homes better places, happier places, stronger places. The word mercy speaks of withholding punishment and giving compassion instead that's mercy mercy is you've crossed me i want to do something to get you but instead i'm going to let it go that's being merciful and we need to put on mercy the bible says and then the bible speaks of kindness that's the quality of being generous of being considerate the bible speaks of 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 humility humbleness of mind and this is defined here as modesty Interesting, that's one of the definitions. Modesty, it's speaking of a proper estimation of oneself. That's humbleness of mind. Sometimes we say that guy's got a big head. What we're saying is he's got a big estimation of himself. We need to have a a humility of mind, which is a proper estimation of ourselves. The Bible speaks of meekness. That's power under control. That's someone that doesn't throw their weight around, but they're, they're very kind in how they deal with others. And then the Bible speaks of long-suffering. That deals with patience. Now, all of those words essentially work together. Here it is. Telling us in the Bible that when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to our families, we need to be nice. Now, I know that sounds simple, but it is not simplistic. It is easier to say be nice than to actually be nice in fact if we all today were to take a turn in the nursery this morning and we were to go to that place in our church i affectionately refer to as the gladiator pits okay and we were to go there and those little uh, crumb snatchers running around and they're they're playing i think inevitably invariably certainly at some point in the service today we would look at one of those little children and say now be nice be nice share don't fight don't be like that be helpful be kind. We may not tell them to be long-suffering, but in an essence, we would. We may not tell them to have a humbleness of mind, but kind of that's what would, we would be saying. I think that we sometimes mistakenly think that if we can just get everyone in our homes to think as we think and to act as we act, and everything would be just perfect. And the Apostle Paul makes it clear that when it comes to relationships, it really has to begin with us personally, not changing others, but us personally changing by putting on these attributes that would allow us to be good, kind, loving, and nice in our families. Many times we get it just turned around. We think, if I can just somehow coerce and make everyone else like me, it'll be just fine. I like the story of the bride who was standing in the back of the church. The doors were open. She's standing beside her father, and as she looks ahead, she sees the aisle, naturally. From the vantage point in the back of the church, she sees the aisle. And then she sees the altar as her eyes continue. So she sees the aisle, and she sees the altar. And then she sees that man she's going to marry. She sees him. And she sees the aisle and the altar and him. 
And she thinks, I'll alter him. And that becomes her mantra for life. I'm going to alter this guy. I'm going to change this guy. This is my new project. I now have meaning. I have purpose. This guy that I'm getting ready to marry, I will alter him. Ladies, let me help you out. Let me save you some frustration. The happiness in a home is not found in your ability to change your husband. And men, the same goes for you. It just didn't work as well in the funny story. So I thought I'd tell that story and then say, guys, you too, all right? The best way to change our homes is for us to change as individuals. To change our attire. Happiness begins when we personally make decisions to put on. And this isn't natural. It is supernatural. For Paul earlier in the book of Colossians 3 and verse 10 to be exact. He says, and have put on the new man. Which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now friends listen. When we wake up in the morning and at some point decide what to put on. We want to look our best. And spiritually, we're decide, we are to decide to put on the attire of Christ's likeness. When I think of words like good and kind and loving and nice, and when I think of meekness, power under control, and when I think of, of long-suffering or, or, or patience, I think of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And these attributes that I'm referring to in terms of these things we're to put on, they are godly attributes. And when we put them on in our lives, that is when we begin to live godly lives. And joy in the home begins with people who say, you know something, I'm not going to worry about what you're wearing. I want to begin by considering what am I spiritually wearing today. And maybe today's a day we need to put on some of these virtues, these attributes and characteristics that will encourage any relationship. So it begins with our attire, but it continues with our attitude. We consider verse 12, let's look together in verse 13. The Bible says in verse 13, forbearing one another. And forgiving one another. And then the Bible says rhetorically, if any man have a quarrel against any. Now, how many of you understand most everybody has a quarrel against somebody? So this verse begins by saying forbearing one another, forgiving one another. Since a perfect home is out of the question, God says, let me help you out. The way to have a happy home is for you to understand early the value of forgiving one another very quickly. Now, I, I wish, I told you this last week, I, I wish I could stand up and say, boy, do I have something to share with you today. And if you listen to what I have to say today, voila, you're going to have a perfect family. No more trouble, no more conflicts ever. Kids are going to just do everything right, just exactly right. If you would just listen to me, things would be perfect. The problem is, I, I'm not perfect. I know that. Now, I'm teaching a perfect book. I understand that. But God understanding he's dealing with imperfect human beings, and when you put them together in units, you then have imperfect families. He says, listen, if you want to have a happy family, you've got to put on these, these virtues we've talked about, but then you need to make sure you've got an attitude that is willing to offer forgiveness. Perfection is out of the question. Forgiveness then is essential. Sometimes when those irritants come our way, we mistakenly think that we will get the result we want if we hold a grudge. We think that we will make the other person pay by how we respond. Now, friends, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands because I know that all of us are savvy enough to know how to work our proverbial wiles so that we try to get a response from the person that we think has offended us. Okay? We try to influence others through our behavior. They've offended us. 
All right, in this situation, I'm using the silent treatment. That's what I'm going to do. You offended me here. I'm not going to use the silent treatment. Now I'm going to turn up the volume. I'm going to shout at you. These are ways we try to get people to respond how we want them to. I'll, I'll punish you in this way or in that way. And many times in the home, the reason there's a lack of happiness is because a conflict has come, just like what the Bible talks about in verse 13. If any man have a quarrel, the quarrel comes along. And rather than responding with, with an attitude that is quick to forgive, we have an attitude that is quick to fight. And you've crossed me, and there's a conflict, there's a quarrel, and rather than being quick to forgive, I'm going to be quick to fight. I heard of a little boy that was sitting on a park bench, and he was in pain. He was just sitting there, and, and uh, a tear's coming down his eye, you know. And, and a man walks by and says, son, are you okay? And he said, yeah. And he said, what's wrong? And the, the little boy said, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. The man said, well, get up. He said, no, mister, the way I got it figured, I'm hurting him more than he's hurting me, you know. And that's sometimes how we do it in the relationships in our lives. We think that we've been offended and we've been hurt. And we respond in a way that really just keeps the pain going. And it, and it, it uh, stops the ability of restoration coming and healing. And, and we think, you know something, this person has hurt me. Therefore, what I need to do is hurt them. But then that brings more pain. And, and oh, listen, friends, what a sad way to go through life. How many of us handle forgiveness just like that little boy? We endure pain for the sadistic satisfaction of believing we're hurting them more than us. And when we learn to get off the bench of unforgiveness, both parties can begin to realize relief from their pain. Now, if you're listening today, if you are, you may be thinking, yeah, but what if they did something really like not good? What if they don't deserve forgiveness? I think we've all had times in life where we've been hurt. By offended, I don't mean you didn't take the trash out again. I mean, we've been hurt. You see, we've got to take this verse as a whole, and the Bible makes it clear in the end of verse 13 that we're to forgive even as Christ forgave you. Think of that. You say, well, Pastor, yeah, but what if they don't deserve it? The Bible says, let me help you out. We're not to offer forgiveness on that rationale. We're to say, how does Jesus deal with me? And that's how I want to deal with others. I want to be Christ-like. I want to be Christian in my response. I'm very grateful that Jesus Christ, when He forgives, He offers it full, complete, and acceptance is assured. I'm glad that Jesus didn't tell me, if you break this sin, you're getting the silent treatment. If you do that sin, I'm going to turn up the volume. I'm going to shout at you. And if, if you do this thing over here, chapel, I'm out of here. I just want you to know right now, mark it down, highlight it, underline it. If you do that, I'm out of here. I'm glad Jesus didn't do that because I know me. I'd find a way to mess everything up and I'd be going through life without a relationship with Jesus Christ. But that, that's not at all how Jesus functions or how He operates. He says, I want to be clear up front that I'm a forgiving Savior. In Ephesians 4 and 32, the Bible says, Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We're to forgive as Jesus forgives. When Lisa and I were really just figuring out what marriage was all about, we went to a marriage seminar. 
And, and this idea of an unconditional commitment that would require an unconditional forgiveness was presented and we decided that was something we wanted in our homes. We knew the byproduct would be joy and, and, and we began to think about that. And the reality is, early on, we didn't have an understanding of what it is we were getting into in terms of saying forgiveness is going to be there. We didn't know what we were going to go through. We didn't know what we were going to experience. But I'm very grateful that early on in our marriage, there was someone that listened, and by the grace of God, we listened, and someone told us, hey, if you want to have a happy home, it's not going to be a perfect home. It's not going to be a home where everything always goes right. But it's going to be a home where two imperfect people come together and say, we want to have hearts that are like the heart of Jesus Christ. And that means we want to give forgiveness. And sometimes that's going to be a little thing, and, and it's going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to be a little thing that's repetitive, and it's, it's going to require a little more work sometimes it's going to be a big thing bigger than we ever imagined but we need to have a heart of forgiveness not to bury our heads in the sand and act as though nothing happened and not to go through life with a mindset that says this isn't a big deal but we have to have the heart of forgiveness so that the work of reconciliation can take place so that recovery can emerge in our lives i want you to know that there's nothing through which we'll go in life that two people with the heart of christ and the mind of christ with a willingness to forgive cannot get through it can and it will happen if we have the heart of Christ. Now you might think the heart of forgiveness, the attitude of forgiveness would bring a, a permissiveness. Do you really think that when Lisa articulated to me, I love you and I'm going to be forgiving and I'm going to be here, that I said, oh great, now I want to be a really bad husband to you. You're going to forgive me? Great. I want to go ahead and just do every bad thing I can think of because you love me so much that you're assuring me in advance that you're not going to, you're not going to leave. You're going to forgive. No, 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 no. That's not the way it's worked. I, I, I've been up front. Not a perfect home. But I can tell you this. I'm grateful for a wife who's let me know that that forgiveness is there. And I, it, it's been a great motivation for me in my life to do my best to be a husband that she would appreciate. I'm grateful for that commitment. And I've responded not with a permissive life, but with a life that has wanted to honor the love that's been given to me. I didn't lose my motivation to keep my commitments. I was more deeply motivated when the heart of it all was right, not based on a threat, but on love. See, the consensus in the world today is that we need to always have a veiled threat of punishment if we're ever crossed. Now, can we just talk turkey today? Can we be honest? The vast majority of marriages in the world today, there's this veiled threat. If you do that, I'm out of here. And that's called motivation by fear. If you do that, I'm out of here. I'm gone. And so we try to establish a relationship of love with a component of fear in the hopes that somehow that's going to keep it all together real good. If you're awake, say amen. The problem is fear and love don't go together real good. In fact, if I can quote the Bible in 1 John, the Bible says this, there's no fear in love. 
And almost a foundational principle in families today is this idea. I've got to make it clear up front. If you do this, if you offend me in that way, if you deceive me there, break my heart over there, I'm going to be gone. But when the Bible says there's no fear in love, it, it goes on to say this, but perfect love casteth out fear. Again, that idea of a mature love. It casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Friends, I am not advocating loose living, but I am sharing that no family in the history of the world has been perfect therefore an attitude of forgiveness is essential it is the component of 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 every happy home we need to let it be known that we intend to love as jesus loved that means we're going to give forgiveness perfect love cast out fear so how did jesus cast fear out for us well for example in matthew 28 and 20 said this i'm with you always i'm with you always even to the end of the world, to the end of the age. In essence, he was saying, when the eons of our age are through, I'm still going to be with you. Now, you'd say, well, if God wants to really micromanage our behavior, if he wants to manipulate us to do what he wants, he should probably say, if you do this or that, I'm out of here. But that's not how God operates. He says, I'm with you forever. I'm not leaving if you're my child. That attitude will help everyone. As we move on, we see the value of our actions. Of our actions. Now, I cut this message down to size for today, and I'm already running out of time, so I'll pick up the pace a little bit, all right? How many of you will listen quick uh, right now? All right, good, I'll talk quick, and we'll try to get through this together. Uh, Isn't this, God's Word's awesome, isn't it? It really says what we need to hear, and we need to hear these things today. So when we think of our actions, we make our way to verse 14. And above all, That's a pretty big deal right there. Above all, in relationships, above all, these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. I like the word bond. I want all the bonding agents in my home I can have. I want all the adhesive I can have. You remember last week in Genesis chapter 2 when the Lord said that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave? And we talked about the definition of the word cleave is, is to be stuck together. And here the Bible says that the the, the bonding agent is found through the avenue of charity. I like that. I want to stay together for a lifetime. And uh, it was interesting. One definition of the word bond was fetter. All right? We sometimes say the old ball and chain. Not not a great analogy, but the idea really is is to be handcuffed to one another. The Bible says if you want to be bound to one another, it's going to come through charity. Now... Charity keeps homes together. I love the word charity. Now, when we think of that word today, we normally think of giving to a needy person or a needy cause, but charity refers to our love in action, in action. That's how that works. We many times think of love as an emotion, but, but love is not a feeling. It's, it's, an, it's an action. It does things. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 8, the Bible says, Above all these things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Now, I've been pretty upfront, very clear. No perfect people, no perfect families. But I have to tell you, there are a lot of times in my family, if I can be personal, where personally, I want to do the right things. I really want to. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good dad. There are many times where I want to do the right things. Now, there are some times occasionally where I'll wake up on the wrong side of the bed, so to speak, and I'll be a little bit crabby, being a little bit selfish, and it's like, no, I don't want to take the trash out. 
I want to watch Fox News and ESPN 1 and ESPN 2, and, and I want to do all that at the same time. I like to watch three channels at the same time. And no, I, I don't want to do that. Have any of you ever just not wanted to do something that you probably should have done? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. The rest of you, liars, okay, just liars. That's what you are. And so a good deal of the time, I really want to do those things that are right, but then there are those other times where it's like, I really don't want to do that. Here's what the Bible is saying. Our feelings are, are, are very volatile that way. Sometimes we'll feel one way, other times we'll feel another way. The Bible is saying, let me take this a step further for you. If you're going to have charity, that's love in action. I'm not talking about your feelings. I'm talking about a commitment that you made, and it's a desire on your part, whether you feel like it or you don't feel like it, to know what is right and then do what is right and I love the way that many times when we do the right thing the feeling follows boy pastor you know the feelings just haven't been there the the butterflies haven't been haven't been there for a while well why don't you do those things that you know that are right and it could be that those emotions that are fine they make poor leaders emotions but they're enjoyable it may be that those emotions would follow if you have a determination based on charity to do what you know to be right Right actions will produce the feelings in time. So we appreciate our actions. And then finally today, we see our acceptance. Now, if I can be honest with you, sometimes when I'm studying the Bible, I read stuff and I'm I'm confused. I don't understand. I came to verse 15 in this text, and to be honest with you, I thought, that verse is totally out of place. What did he say that for? It doesn't fit. I mean, here we are, we're, we're talking about relationships, verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. And then he throws in another statement that I even didn't know how it fit to the rest of the verse, where he says, and be ye thankful. But there's a great truth here. The Bible is speaking of the peace of God. I want you to notice it says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let it. This is a decisive action. Now, we're going to have a quick theology lesson, then we'll be through. If, if you today are a Christian, you first of all acknowledge your need for a Savior, your sinfulness. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Uh, and you receive the payment by way of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to save you. And based on that request, Jesus responded, and you've been saved forever. Never to be cast out of the family. You've been forever forgiven. And we're grateful for a relationship that we find through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, before you were a Christian, if you are a Christian today, before you were a Christian, you need to understand there was a war going on. Between you and God. Now you're thinking, I I never had a heart of God. I'm in war with you. I I, I know, but in our spirit, we are rebellious. We were not accepting the truth. We were fleeing uh, from things that we should have been running to. And, And the Bible lets us know that really there was a war in our hearts between God. We may not have seen it that way, but Romans 8 and 7 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And so there's enmity. We're enemies of God. But the Bible also says in Ephesians 2.16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Before, before we accept Christ, we're at enmity with God. 
We're not living in accordance with, with God's will for our lives. We're in rebellion. We're at enmity. After we accept Jesus Christ, the enmity has been slain. We enter into a relationship with God whereby we have peace with God. And why? Because Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us there in Ephesians, He, he slew. He slew this enmity on the cross. And when we enter into a relationship with God, we do so based on not who we are or what we have done, but what Jesus has done. And we go from at war with God to at peace with God. And I want you to understand today that if you're here and you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, this verse is not random. This verse was not dropped in mistakenly. This verse fits in perfectly with your family and with mine. Because until we understand what it is to have this peace with God, then we can grow to the point where we know the peace of God. When we understand that, we then can have relationships in our home that are peaceful. The Bible in Philippians 4, 7 tells us the peace of God passes all understanding and it shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Is there any happiness without hearts and minds that are not kept? It's all predicated upon a life that has been reconciled through the work of Jesus Christ. The enmity has been conquered. A relationship has been established. We now have peace with God and we, we can see the change this brings. Now here's the thought, if I am finding my peace in life through God, look at me, I'm not finding it then in a bottle, am I? I'm not finding it through a drug dealer or a more sophisticated drug dealer in a lab coat. I'm finding it in God. If my peace in life comes from God, then I'm not looking to other places to try to fill a void in my life. A person who has peace in their heart always fulfills the end of this verse where the Bible just says at the very end, oh yeah, and be thankful. Wherever you are and whatever you're up to, if you're a believer, you can say, God, I know you're with me and I know I'm at peace with you through Jesus Christ and I know I have your peace available to me. And God, because wherever I am and whatever I'm up to, I know that in your sovereignty you've placed me and you're keeping me. God, I'm so thankful. Thank you. No, not because I'm perfect or not because every situation's perfect, but because you're God and you're a great God. And I'm thankful for that. God, I'm thankful for who you are. I'm thankful for what you've done. I'm thankful for the life you've given me. There is a word that refers to this understanding and the word is content. Meant. And you cannot have a happy home unless it's a contented home. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Here's the idea in that verse. Jesus is enough. He's enough for you. He's enough for your marriage. He's enough for every relationship in your life. One key component to a happy home is our acceptance of of the life that God has given us. I'm not talking about failing to work on our lives. I'm not talking about some fatalistic mindset. But I'm talking about a heart that says, you know, God, you placed me in the family in which I reside. And because you're a good God, I will forever be thankful for the life you've given me.
Now, God, I readily admit that the people in this family beginning with me are imperfect. Therefore, this family's imperfect. And we all have room to grow. And I need to get some forgiveness in this situation. And I need to give a little. But God, the peace I'm seeking in life, it doesn't come from everybody around me. It comes from you. And I'm very thankful for that. And it's that spirit that is right with God in that essence. It filters down to the other relationships in our life. It takes a lot of the angst, a lot of the pressure away. I heard of a man who said that he was going to get married, but he wanted to wait until he found the perfect, the perfect girl. He told his friends that, and years and years and years and years went by. Years later, he saw one of his friends, and, and uh, he said, you never did get married, did you? He said, no, never did. He said, well, you must not have found the perfect girl. He said, no, I found her. But as it turned out, she was looking for the perfect guy, and that's not what he was, you know. I think people there are looking for a perfect scenario, a perfect situation. Keep on looking. You're not going to find it. Because any relationship into which you enter, you'll be there. And at least you're messed up, okay? (laughs) But we can have a heart that says, you know something, God? You're good and you can help me. I suppose any family can say cheese, but we really need, again, as I said earlier, that cheese that lasts the whole year through. A home of happiness serves as a little bit of heaven. The story's been told of young man that graduated with a PhD in family counseling, family psychology. He knew much about the home. And so with his vast amounts of knowledge on the home and marriage and the family, he, he did what everyone who was so bright should do. He started writing and entered into the lecture circuit and he began to travel and teach on the family. His lecture was entitled, Ten Commandments for Every Marriage. After about a year of traveling and teaching, he got married And shortly after his marriage, he changed the title to his lecture to Ten Hints for Every Marriage. After about another year, he again changed the title to Suggestions for Marriages. According to the story, after about a year of that, he stopped lecturing altogether. (laughs) Let me tell you what I am not doing today. I'm not standing up here today saying, listen to a lecture by me and it's just going to be great. Because happiness in the home, it's not, let me give you this list of things and you do that. You listen to what I'm saying. You listen to my lecture. And you do these things I'm saying. It's going to be perfect. You will be happy. That's just not, that's not what we're getting at. I'm talking about the heart. It says, you know, I'm going to be humble enough in this thing to know that the people that need forgiveness, I need it as well. I want to give it. I'm going to be good and kind to others. And I want to love. And I want to find my real deepest needs met in life through my relationship with God. I'm not imposing that on others. I want to walk with God so that I can have a contentment and a joy and a happiness in my family. You see, I'm not trying to pound my outline in your head because happy homes it's not a matter of the head a lot of people know a lot about family but have an unhappy family it's not a matter of the head primarily it's more a matter of the heart and I think when we have a heart that says you know God I want to live for you and my family 
we'll have that happy home. One time Jesus was teaching. Jesus was a good teacher, the best. And in the midst of his teaching, he just felt compelled to say something. Here's what he said in John 13. He said, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Apparently, the happiness doesn't come by how much we know, but how we apply the truth that we've gained along the way. Again, this text is not so much a call to our heads as it is to our hearts. And I love the way the Bible in this text says, grace in your hearts. That's what we need today. Our Father,